As we journey through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, Sunday morning in the book of Revelation, encourage you to read chapter 18 for Sunday. Tonight, Psalm 23, we're going to do something we don't do on a Wednesday night. Let's stand together and let's read it together. This won't be if I'll read the odd, you read the even, I'll just, because it's Wednesday night and things will just break down. And uh, so let's just read it together on my cadence there. Psalm 23, verse 1, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil, for my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Amen. You can be seated. Have a good night. (laughs) Why go any further? (laughs) Psalm 23. Very well known. In fact, I would dare say that it is probably the most common of all the scripture in all of the Bible. Although Jesus wept, pretty much everybody knows that one. But even if uh, before you were saved, you knew it. You went to a funeral and you heard it. But we're going to see tonight, it doesn't apply to anybody other than a follower of, of Jesus Christ. And so even though we use it as a comfort, listen to this, this is going to be kind of shocking. It cannot unless you know that he is your shepherd. Before we even get going, I need you to hear this or uh, see this book, hear, see, whatever. A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm by Philip Keller. If you've never read this book, I highly encourage you. I will uh, pull passages out of it. He is a shepherd and had great wealth of knowledge when it came to uh, being a shepherd. So it is a thin read. It is a good read. You can actually get it on Audible now. How do I know that? I just listened to it. Oh, watch out. Um, So encourage you to pick that up. We have plenty of copies out into the the bookstore for that. Again, if you're online or on the radio, a shepherd's look at the 23rd Psalm by Philip Keller. And he gives us great insight into being a shepherd and what it's like to have sheep. Now, as we get going, the first thing that you need to know is sheep are the dumbest animals on planet Earth. And I pose this to you. Pastor, that doesn't seem very... Well, here's a couple of things. Number one, God says that we are like sheep. What did God just say? (laughs) Listen, have you ever with your kids said, listen, When we go to the zoo, we're going to go to the sheep show. Have you ever seen a sheep show? Have you seen the lions and the whales 
the dogs, even the cats, the porpoises, the sea lions. There's not a line for the sheep show. Do you get why? <laughs> because they're dumb. And people don't want to see dumb animals. Have a good night. Psalm 23. A Psalm of David. Note with me the first line. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Someone once out, uh, outlined it this way, and I think it's pretty good of an outline. He outlines it in three ways. The secret of a happy life, a happy death, and a happy eternity. A happy life is every need supplied. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. A secret of a happy death. Every fear is removed. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And then the secret of a happy eternity, every desire is fulfilled. For surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again, despite its worldwide popularity, this psalm is not for everyone. And I need everybody to, to hear that and get this principle. It is applicable only to those who are entitled to say, the Lord is my shepherd. It is true that the good shepherd died for all, but only those who actually receive him by a definitive act of faith are his sheep. So this psalm applies when you say, my shepherd. Again, his saving work is sufficient for all, but it is effective only for those who actually believe on him. I think some people think that this is the magic psalm. If you rub it the right way at a funeral or something, it will, it will do something for you. But that's not how God's word works nor the Savior. You can't just rub him when you need him in that way. And yet everyone looks at this psalm in the same light all over planet Earth. Unless he is my shepherd, the rest of the psalm doesn't belong to me and you don't have a right to it. Amen? It's not yours. So you can't claim it. Uh-huh. You want it? Then be a follower of Christ. Have him be my shepherd. That needs to be the statement before you can learn about the rest of the benefits of being his sheep. Because this is a chapter about being a, a recipient of the goodness and mercy. Don't we read that at the end? Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. But only if you say he is my shepherd. Overwhelmingly, the idea behind God's role as a shepherd is in the loving care and concern. And this is where David's life comes out. Because as a young boy, David was a shepherd. And he knew what it was like to care for the sheep. He knew what it was like to lay down his life for the sheep, to sleep out at night, to have those sheep uh, hear his voice. I need to make this statement before I go any further because I'll, I'll forget it. 
is that Jesus said, my sheep know my what? Voice. Now that's important because Philip Keller will tell us that the sheep only know the shepherd's voice. And if someone else were to call out to them, they won't go after them. In fact, they'll run away. So sheep aren't so dumb, are they? We'll get a little bit of them. The, the important thing in verse 1 is this. The Lord is my shepherd. So if he is your shepherd tonight, then you get to, be, then you get to have the benefits of the rest of the chapter because the rest of the chapter is awesome for what God does in the care of his sheep. I don't know, uh, did you read anywhere where it says, my shepherd beats me up? Nowhere in here do we read any of that. It is the care of the sheep and then fending off the predators. The Lord is my shepherd. If, listen, if you're listening to this and you don't know Christ, I encourage you where you are right now to cry out and say, Lord, would you become my shepherd? And then the rest of this chapter gets to apply to you. Amen? But he, he goes on to say, I shall not want. Now, I think that we need to camp on this word want. Uh, the internet is seeing a title of this message that says, what do you want? Because this world is filled with want. All kinds of want. And what we're going to see is, are you okay with what the shepherd gives you far as resources, and uh, are you content in that? There's a couple of things. The fact that God's shepherd-like care was the end of not being satisfied with this life. This is what David said. You don't get to not be satisfied with this life when your shepherd is God. Everybody got that? Ready? Are you ready? You can't be bummed out when he's your shepherd. You're thinking to yourself right now, I knew I should have not come tonight. <laughs> Didn't that, does that hit? Does it ring? Does it sting? You don't get to complain if he's your shepherd. Yeah, but we're going to get to the valley in a little bit. But if he is your shepherd, then what he wants for you must be okay. Is that hard to hear tonight? I don't like that plan. I thought we get to just say whatever we want, and he's supposed to give it to us. I mean, isn't that what those guys on TV say? If I just name it and claim it. That's not what he wants. There's two things here. I shall not want is a declaration and it is also a decision. I shall not want means two things. Number one, all of my needs are supplied by the Lord, my shepherd. Did you hear that? All of my needs. It's interesting that David is writing this, isn't it? And yet he has Bathsheba. I thought he knew what it was like to have the shepherd provide all of his needs. 
And like everyone else, we think God is sleeping on us when we're calling, Lord, I, I need some of this or I need this in my life. And we need to remember, I need to remember, I preach to myself, I shall not want because God knows all of my needs and he supplies them. Listen, as a parent, do you not know all of the needs of your kids when they're younger? Because when they get a teenager, you have no idea. Amen. They just check out. But before then, at like five years old, you're pretty good with knowing what they need. So as a, as a loving parent, you know how to take care of that child. And so as our loving shepherd, all of my needs are supplied. But also I shall not want means I decide not to desire more than what the Lord my shepherd gives hard, isn't it? Now, we immediately put that to goods, but maybe that's our walk. Maybe that's health. Maybe that's our job. Maybe that's whatever. Whatever the Lord would have, I decide not to desire more than what the Lord, my shepherd, gives. I think 13 minutes into it, we're full. The last time I taught this, I broke this up into three messages. But I decided that tonight we just need to hear the totality of this psalm and to dwell on it and note the key to the rest of the chapter is having a heart that, is, that does not desire more than what the Lord my shepherd gives nor desiring anything other than my needs are supplied by him. Verse 2, now we get into the benefits of being part of his flock. Now, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. Okay, I just said that we were in verse 2, right? Sorry, I got to give one more point in verse (laughs) 1. When we don't have this heart of being okay with what God is giving us and directing us, then we become like sheep that Philip Keller describes as a fence walker. And it was funny because I was standing back in the booth and that just kept coming back and back and God was just saying something there and I, I, I need you to hear this. Philip Keller describes the fence walker. You know, those who think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence? That may be true, but so are the the water bills higher. It always will cost you. But as we'll see, the good shepherd brings us to green pastures. We just have to wait for it. But the fence walker, uh, Philip Keller says, oftentimes will walk that fence, try to find an area to break out of it, and what happens is she leads others astray through that. And time and time again, Philip would need to go and to bring her back. But at some point he realized, listen, I'm spending way too much time on this fence walker. Do you know what he did? He put her down. He used her as meat. Now I thought about that, not only back there, but all day. Do you know what it dawned on me? 
This is Ananias and Sapphira. This is the beginning of the church. And they wanted something more, and God put them down so that others wouldn't follow their path. Sometimes God takes his children away from planet Earth so that they would not go down a path of destruction nor lead others in that path. Amen? Listen, don't you dare become a fence walker because, listen, God may put you down. That doesn't mean you're going to hell. It just means you get, a, you get an early kick at home and maybe sit in the dumb room in heaven. That's the fence centers over there, the fence walkers. But think about that. How powerful that is for the shepherd to say, you know what? I have tried and tried and tried with this fence walker, and it is in the flock's best interest. It is in the church's best interest to put the fence walker down for the sake of the rest of the flock. Powerful, isn't it? Verse 2. Wait a minute. No, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. Now, you think to yourself, he, he brings the sheep to these green pastures. And if you go through the book, you'll see that there are periods of time where the sheep are in spring and summer and fall and obviously winter. And the shepherd brings them in different pastures and he brings them in the summertime into the high mountains and the high plateaus where it's cooler and all of these different areas where, as we're going to see, he leads them. But at some point, he needs them to lie down. Now, the interesting thing about sheep are they will not lie down unless four things are happening in their life. Please take note of these four things because they're really um, applicable for us. You want to find rest? <laughs> you need to be like these sheep that do not lie down so easily unless these four things or four conditions are met. Here they go. Because they are so timid, they will not lie down if they are afraid. Number one, the sheep won't lie down if they're afraid. If they sense there is trouble, if they sense that the shepherd is uneasy. Now, we know our shepherd is uneasy. I'm using a human. But if they sense anything like that, they will not lie down. So if they are afraid, they will not be eased by the shepherd. Number two, because they are social animals, they will not lie down if there is friction among the sheep. I know that it was hypothetical. That doesn't ever happen in churches. Friction? How about the next one? If flies or parasites trouble them, they will not lie down. This will uh, come up later in the, the psalm as well. So we've got afraid, friction, and trouble. And the fourth thing is if the sheep are anxious about food or hungry, they will not lie down. So I want you to hear this. The sheep lie down when they are not afraid, when there is no friction, when there is no trouble from parasites, and that they are fed. All four of what our shepherd does for us. 
Do not be afraid. How many times did Jesus say, don't be afraid? Like a gazillion, right? 365, right? In the Bible, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let me paraphrase, as the good shepherd. So why are we afraid? Well, we live on planet Earth where we allow, and I say this with all love, really dumb things to cause us to be afraid. That's why Jesus said, don't worry what they can do to the body. Worry, they can't take your soul, so it doesn't matter. We are not to be afraid. The, the, the group on planet Earth that should not be afraid, it should be us. Number two, there should be no friction inside of the body of Christ. How many times did the Holy Spirit have to talk to the early church? Knock it off, Corinthians. Knock it off. There was some uh, friction going on in some of the other churches as well. Philippians, hey, you got a problem with two women. Knock it off. Cut the friction out. Isn't it nice sometimes to come to church? It doesn't happen all the time. You come to, and it's like a smooth Sunday. Oh, not the Sunday you were thinking. And you come to church and the worship, right, and the word, and you're having a good fellowship, and it's great. Then you come to church one Sunday, and just every little friction, trouble, parasite starts attacking you. How, how easy is it for you to sit in service and hear the word then? It's hard, isn't it? My mind is thinking about that parasite. That trouble, uh, that, that situation. And I'm no longer focused on the word. Um, I, I, my mind is pretty empty to start with. Amen. Anybody else got my mind? And not a lot of ho- going on up there anyway. Um, I usually don't have that problem. But every once in a while... You know, you're at a conference or something, and the enemy just doesn't want you to listen to whatever, and your mind is distracted. That's why it is so uber important when you're coming to church in the parking lot, whatever. uh, I mean, listen to WXMB as you're driving in, uh, the praise and worship teaching. Come in here, sit down, close your eyes. Don't worry about the distractions around you. Let God's word fill you that day. It's very easy to have number two and three of troubles and friction. Now, the last one is if they're hungry. Now, we know that Jesus is the bread of life, and we know that by partaking of the word of God, we become full. That is why in the wilderness, God provided for them the manna every day, partaking of God's word. Every day you must partake of God's word. Listen, um, I try to. Sometimes it's in the morning. I'm sitting there with my coffee before uh, everyone else gets up. I'm reading a little bit. Sometimes it's when I get down here in the morning and it's quiet. I'm still having coffee. There has got to be a time where you're having a quiet time. And by the way, uh, I find this interesting. It's in Philip Keller's book as well. Um, 
this will apply when we get to the water. You know, sheep can go an entire month without water if in the morning they're, they're lapping up the dew. Just the dew in the morning will keep them for an entire month. If we can go every morning by lapping up the word of God, we would do well. And then we won't be hungry for something else. And now we can lie down. Rest comes because the shepherd has dealt with fear, friction, flies, and famine. Notice it says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. So, he leads me. The shepherd was a guide. The sheep didn't need to know where the green pastures or the still waters was or were or going to be. The sheep didn't need to know. He didn't bring out, all right, here's the map. We're going to go from here to here. Sheep can't read a map. They don't need to know where they're going. They only need to trust in the shepherd. Right? Now, we're human beings, and we're control freaks, and we don't like not knowing where we're going. But we have to trust that the good shepherd knows where he's... How many of you have ever thought this? Just for a moment, Lord, do you even know where you're going? Because I don't like this path. I don't like the valley. I don't like where you're taking me. But he leads them. The shepherd was a guide. The sheep didn't need to know where the green pastures or the still waters were All they needed to know is that the shepherd was there and the shepherd was going to guide them and protect them. That's all they needed to know. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day our daily bread. In the prayer, it's talking about God being that shepherd, providing and taking care of us. So he leads me beside still waters. Note with me the still waters. Sheep don't like rapids. They don't like turbulent water. They, if a sheep goes out in that kind of water, it will find itself up on its back with its little legs flat, and then the rest of the sheep will follow because there is an alpha sheep, and they all follow that sheep. By the way, something really interesting is that a lot of times when that alpha sheep, that female, has her first um, sheep of the season, the uh, again, this is in the book, it's really fascinating, the shepherd will take that little lamb, put it on its shoulders, and then the alpha sheep will follow because that's her baby, and he'll lead the sheep where up to the high pasture. But they don't like water that's turbulent. They like calm water. So he leads me beside still waters. Notice what the verse 2 does to us in verse 3. What does green pastures and still waters do? It restores my soul. How many times have you walked into church totally 
beaten up, be it on the weekend or during the week, since it's midweek. You're here. You barely got here. Work has tore you up. The world has tore you up. That's right. The war has tore you up. Uh, the news cycle is off the cuff. You can't stand it anymore. Let's have a media fast till Sunday. Amen. Just did nobody look at it and just like, I don't see it. And then you come in and you worship and you fellowship and you hear God's word and you are restored. It's a beautiful thing that happens in the church that happens nowhere on planet earth. This is the only place where this happens. Isn't that crazy? Everybody is trying to <laughs> restore their soul out in the world, and yet we've got it right here every week. Every week it's right here. Not only that is he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. The, the shepherd would lead them on, on uh, well-worn paths paths that had been there before. He knows the path in which he is taking them. But I want you to note this. It's not for your sake, it's for his sake. Why am I going through what I am going through? It is for the glory of God. It is not for your glory or my glory or anybody else's. It is for his sake and his sake alone. So when you go through that valley of the shadow of death where you won't fear evil and you come out on the other side of that, you give glory to God. You don't go, I got through it. And then you forgot to leave by his power and his strength. So it's for his namesake. Verse 4 tells us, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. <laughs> when you read that for the first time, you're like, um, is there a newer version that doesn't have that whole death thing in there? Or the rod or the staff? But let's look at it. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Near death, the saint still calmly walks. He does not need to quicken his pace in alarm or panic. Near death, the saint does not walk in the valley, but through the valley. It is not his permanent home. Everybody circle that or write that through. I'm not living here. Some of you may think, man, I don't know about you, but I've got like an addition built here. No, this is a through. We're going through to our destination. This is not where you dwell. We are walking through the valley. Now, Notice it is the shadow of death. It is not death. There are a lot of things that happen in our life that are the shadow of death upon us, but it is not death. It is God's will and plan for you, for me, for everyone in the, in the body of Christ at some point to walk through a valley. Those valley experiences are not 
not often the most exciting things. And they're not easy. But they're easier knowing that he is with me. The thing about a valley is, especially in, in what David is thinking of, it's an enclosed space, so you feel like you're enclosed. Everything's coming against you, and you can feel it encroaching. The world and death is coming upon you. But you know at the end, it's just a cough. It's just a virus. It's not what they say it is. Is it deadly for some? Absolutely. But not for everybody. But they want you to think and be afraid. And you think, uh, I, I'm not supposed to live here. I'm supposed to walk through it. Now, how can I fear no evil when I'm walking through the valley? There's a key there. Because you are with me. Now, the shepherd, again, carrying the ewe lamb, is going through the valley, and the destination is the high plateau. We're going to see that in a minute. So they're going from the lower, which is hot in the summer, they're going to go through these well-worn paths all the way up the mountain, and they're going to go to the high plateau where it is safe and there is green grass and pure water. But you're walking through a choke point, a valley, it's enclosing you, but you know you're okay because he is walking with you. Because the sheep know the shepherd's voice, all he has to say is, I don't know what he sees. I'm not a shepherd. I don't know. Here, little sheep, sheep. I don't know what he says. And he just probably says something. They know that tone, right? I'm sure they know the danger tone and the calm tone and the come on tone and the, you know, the whatever. And they hear that. And as he keeps going, they, they get a little anxious. And then he says, come on, little sheep, sheep. And then they, they're okay. They keep going. Why? Why will they fear no evil? Because you are with me. Not only that is, now, if sheep were smart, they're not. They wouldn't really know this, but they know that the shepherd is armed. And a good shepherd is always armed. And a shepherd has two weapons. He has a rod and he has a staff. And you need to know that the rod and the staff are there to comfort you because you know that your shepherd will take care of of those enemies, he will help you out in times of trouble. The rod and the staff are are two different implements. The rod is different from the staff. Amazing, isn't that? The staff is a walking stick. Um, When we do a Christmas play, oftentimes you'll see the shepherd's staff, and it has a little crook on it, right? A little neck on it. That's not always the case. Some did have that. I mean, I know what you're thinking. The shepherd just gets him around the, the neck and yanks it. That, usually it was just a walking stick. And I'm going to do the staff first before the rod. He would use the end of it to guide and to push. That's all he would do. He would guide them with the stick back and forth. He didn't use the staff to beat the sheep. Never did he do that. Now, 
a bad shepherd would do that. Philip Keller in the beginning says he knew of a shepherd in a different valley and he said that man should never have been a shepherd. His sheep were always gaunt, they were always thin, they were always scraggly and he said I'm sure if they could speak they would say help get us out of here. So the, the staff was never used to beat the sheep. It was only used to guide them where they needed to go. Now, the rod was different. The rod was a little implement, uh, 12 to 18 inches, usually with a club at the end of it. I'll let your mind go for what that club will be used for. But it's not to be used on the sheep. Now, he would from time to time, if a sheep was going somewhere where not, he would take that thing and throw it it would hit next to the sheep, scare the sheep, and put him on the right direction because obviously he couldn't throw his staff. But that thing was used to beat off the wolves. And we'll talk about the wolves here in verse 5. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy, and you anoint my head with oil, for my cup runneth over. So in this progression now, the shepherd is taking them through the valley to get to the high plateau because in the summertime, the high plateau was a place where it was cooler, but it also had better grass. Why? Because sheep will decimate a pasture. If you leave them there, they will eat everything. Not only that, they will eat the bad weeds. And a good shepherd would send another shepherd ahead to the high pasture to pull out the dangerous weeds. And so as the main shepherd is taking them up, they're, they're, uh, they, they're on the high plateau where there is great green grass, but there is also springs coming out of the mountain. And so now they have a place. But who also knows where the lambs and the sheeps are? the predators, the wolves, because now the sheeps, the sheep, the sheeps, <laughs> is that, that's a technical term, uh, the sheep are giving birth, and now they're giving birth upon the high plateaus, right? And so the wolves know it's feeding time. So listen to this verse, again, knowing what you know from David the shepherd. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. The sheep have this wonderful buffet of greenery. And they have still water. They have pure water coming out. But it's in the presence of the wolves. Jesus said, I send you out in the midst of wolves, doesn't he? I wish he wouldn't have said that. But this is where we live. And yet, Jesus prepares a table before us in the presence of my enemy. Okay, but it's summertime, is it not? Uh, it's summertime here in Myrtle Beach. What do we have in Myrtle Beach? Well, basically the south. Well, all right, the entire planet. We have something that's evil. It's called a mosquito. Do we not? Some places have flies. We have flies, too. We have those yellow flies or uh, horse flies that'll bite you. They'll take a piece of flesh out of your body. This is rude. So we know what it's like to have bugs here in Myrtle Beach. 
Well, up on the high plateau, they would have flies. Now, I don't want to gross anybody out. But what the flies would do is they would land on the sheep's head. They would lay eggs in the sheep's nose. It gets better. Then the eggs come out, and now the worms go inside of the brain of the sheep, and it drives the sheep mad, and the sheep will bang their head on a tree as to relieve the pain. Wow, <laughs> right? So what does the shepherd do? Well, it says it in this verse. It says, you anoint my head with oil. What would the oil do? Well, typically what they would do on a high plateau is they would have a little area where the water was or a little trough, and the sheep would come up to that area, and then the uh, shepherd would inspect every single sheep. Everyone got inspected by the shepherd. He would run his hands over the entire body of the sheep, his head, everything, to inspect it. But as the sheep is there, I mean, you kind of think of that cattle thing where, you know, they run the cattle in and they inspect it and they inject it. Well, they didn't have any of that. It was just an area where the sheep was drinking. But they would take the oil and they would pour the oil all over the sheep making sure that they took the oil inside of the nose cavity, inside of the ear cavity, all around. Fully anointing the sheep with oil so that the sheep is protected from the parasites. This is what God does with us with His Holy Spirit. In the Bible, oil is used as a reference to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit anoints us and protects us from parasites, from flies, from annoyances. How many of you are annoyed right now? Well, when you came. Something is annoying you. Something is bugging you. You know what the fix is? The Holy Spirit. The oil that pours over us. Lord, would you anoint me again? Now, through the summer, he would periodically go and re-examine those sheep. It says, you anoint my head. That word, when you anoint my head in the Greek, it means a continual anointing. And then it says, my cup runneth over. It's continually. So as they're drinking, as they're on the high plateau, as, as the good shepherd is taking care of them, it's, it's birthing time, it's a wonderful time, and yet there are wolves. By the way, do you know, um, especially in the Middle East, what they would do is, I know what you're thinking, well, what do they do at night? If you've got wolves on the high plateau, what would they do? Well, they would build these stone enclosures. And at night, they would bring the sheep in. Anybody know where the sheep slept? Jesus gives us a clue. He says, I am the door. The shepherd slept on the entrance to the enclosure. So if any wolf would come around it would go after the shepherd first, and the shepherd would have his club, 
and his sheep were protected. You see, the sheep come in and out only by the door. The good shepherd is the door. The only entrance into eternal life, as we'll see in a minute, is the door. It's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. And so you anoint my head with oil and my cup runneth over. And now David ends it with the promise of eternity. Because when you look at this Psalm 23 in its totality, knowing what David knows, knowing what you know now, knowing that you're going to get this book and read the whole thing and then fact check me. (laughs) No, it's a wonderful book. Listen what he says in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. How is David David able to say that? Because he knows that the Lord is my shepherd. And then everything from verse 2 to 5 is what God has done for him, what he does for us. So therefore, we can't sit here tonight or any other night and be bummed out that you don't have what you think you should want from the shepherd. I shall not want. That's how the entire thing starts. And then it ends with the praise that is due his name, which is goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The interesting thing is, in the winter time, when they came off of the high plateau and came back into town, anybody know where the Shep, uh, the Shep, no, that's the Three Stooges, where did the sheep live in the winter time? In the shepherd's house. I know what you're thinking, ladies. I would never have sheep in my house. Yes, but it's your living. That's how you lived. Most of the time, your animals lived in the house with you. So David knows that, and he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not everybody could have a barn and put their sheep in the barn. But they did have a house, and they would bring them into the house. Ultimately, uh, where are we going? Jesus said, to my father's house. In my father's house are many rooms, many mansions. For if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. For where I am, there you will be also. You see, it ends with forever. That's the promise of eternity. So we started out to see the secret of a happy life, (laughs) the secret of a happy death, and the secret of a happy eternity. But ultimately, it, it, it boils down to verse 3, for his name's sake. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for a beautiful psalm and for your servant, David, who lived the life of a shepherd. We thank you, Lord, for the illustrations in real life that are so powerful. And they're different around the world, yes. But Lord... We thank you that we can call on you as my shepherd. And Father, I pray that we would not want and we would be content with what you'd have for us. 
Lord, thank you for our night, and we thank you for those serving in children's ministry and youth ministry. We thank you, Lord, for your provisions. We thank you for the rod and the staff that comfort us, knowing, Lord, that you are the door, and nobody is coming across that threshold unless you allow it. So, Lord, thank you for our time now. In Jesus' name, amen.